Mr. Andrew Diamond, how are you doing? Jonathan Yee, it's a that splendid week 10. We just finished up. Yes, yes. You know, that, that means, I don't know what it is about week 10, but it, oh, you know what it is? It's, it's, it's that we hit a double digit, right? <laughs> we went from nine until 10 and you're like, finally, I feel like I've hit like some sort of stride, some sort of landmark where I'm like, okay, I, I can see the end of the, the tunnel now. This is like either where it, everything just crumples oh, or on. you don't think so? You think we're good? No, I entirely agree with you. I just don't, I don't want to think about that aspect. Well, we're going to make it through. It's, we're, we're there. We're more than halfway. We're good. We got basically five more weeks because finals week doesn't really, I guess it does count. It does. It does count because, well, I guess it depends. I mean, some, some people you may consider fortunate or not, but. I think this was you last year, actually, last semester, but you had like three finals in like one day. Oh, my. That was brutal. So I took yeah. three really hard finals in one day. And for our school, if you have, I think, three in one day, you could uh, postpone the finals. But, you well, you could make arrangements to take a final on another day, like during another section. But... um I reached out to the professor that I thought would be most willing to do it. And he was like, yeah, that's totally fine. Why don't you come in tomorrow for your final? But during the time, his second section, when I was supposed to take it, I had another final and I don't think that professor would have been too keen on me changing up that final. Um, so yeah, I took, I roughed, I, I just went for it three in one day. I was absolutely dead. Yeah, yeah, but but here here's your reward, right? I, I don't know if you'd consider that a reward by any chance, by by any means. But you ended your final on like a Tuesday, your final week. Yeah, yeah, I, I was, ended mine on a Friday. I was done. <laughs> so I, you were done I, on Tuesday. I was done on a Friday. I was studying throughout the rest of the week, while you, I don't know if you had enough time to study or if you felt confident to the the to the I guess the extent that I did in my finals, but. At least you finished early, you know? Yeah, I remember texting you, and I was like, dude, I'm done. And you were like, man, must be nice. I, I, and it was right <laughs> when, like, we had gotten our Xboxes. Yeah. So I was like, dude, let's play some Xbox. You were like, man, I still have three more days of finals. And I was yeah. like, man, I cannot yeah. relate. Sure. But, you know, uh, you know what I'm going to have? I'm going to have a drink to celebrate my three finals of one day, even though that was over 18 weeks ago. Let's commemorate it, yeah. Why not? And I think, you know, oh, I did it again. <laughs> Are you, you caught it early this time? You caught, caught it early this time. Oh, there you go. I don't know why this, I, I don't know if it's how I store it in my fridge or what, but, but you have a drink tonight too. I do. So Andrew is an alcoholic and I, I'm kidding. Andrew's not an alcoholic. <laughs> I, I, I'm entirely joking, guys. He's not an alcoholic. I, I mean, he just drinks beer for leisure. And uh, I, on the other hand, am going to be having craft sodas as Andrew has craft beers. Are, are those craft beers you got, you got, Andrew? Yeah, some of them. Some, yeah, yeah, some of yeah. them are. I don't think they all are, though. Right. I think last week's was, is, is last week's considered a craft beer? You had um, Stone IPA, right? I don't, what defines a craft beer? 
don't we're know. probably gonna get canceled for this. All the hipsters out there. Hey. Hey. <laughs> I'm kidding. It's because I make my own coffee. Like I literally grind my coffee and I make it. But I don't Johnny know. Johnny actually has a coffee bean farm in his backyard. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> Man, if I did, I that'd be on a different level. People that roast your coffee. Shout out to you guys. Um, but I am gonna be having not a craft beer, but craft soda. And so today I have, I, I don't even know. I, I just went to the store near me and I guess this is from Coca-Cola in Austria. What? I know, right? It's weird. That's interesting. It's cola and orange soft drink. So if you guys are Austrian out there, you guys probably know what I'm about to say. It's called Mezzo Mix. I hope I'm saying that right. Andrew, look at that can. <laughs> I think that's Mezzo Mix. Okay, Mezzo Mix. Okay, maybe There's it's a hard no Z. There's no in there. Hey, it could be a hard Z. You don't know. You're not Austrian, are you? <laughs> Where did you find this? I found this at World Market. But I'm probably, I think I've already, well, actually, no, they have other drinks out there. Are you okay, man? Yeah, I'm, I just got some beer on my hands. Did you make a mess like I did? No, no, no. no. Did you hear that? Yeah, I heard it. Dang, that was, okay. So you, you want to guess what the color of the drink is going to be? I'd, I'd imagine it's going to be orange just based on the appearance of the can. It's kind of orange. Yeah, it's orangish. I guess it's what you would imagine Coca-Cola if it were to be orange flavored, huh? It sounds crispy, if that's crispy. the right word. I could hear it. I like that. Crispy. That's a good word to use. I think I'm running out of cup space, so I'm going to probably leave a lot in the can. This has caffeine in it. Probably not a good idea because we're recording at night. But hey, if, if anything, I'll just get some work done, you know? We always have work left to do. You're going to text me at like three in the morning. Like, bro, how do I do this? Yeah, what is this, this, this Austrian drink, drink has me on another level. dude. Yeah. You have no idea how much, how, do you know how much caffeine is in there? Bro, bro. I'm looking this is right gonna now. going to be a disaster. Oh my goodness. Let's see. Let's see here. I, it doesn't say it. So it must have none. That's, that's such a lie. I'm, uh, yeah. we'll, we'll find out. Maybe I'll be able to go, sleep like a baby. Or maybe I'll get all, all three of her projects done like bam, bam, bam. So, uh, it's questionable. Yeah. All right. Anyways, I'm drinking Fremont Golden Pilsner from Seattle. I believe Pilsner. this would be a craft beer. Ooh. Pretty good. Pretty good. Pilsner. I like it. How's your drink? I don't know, man. I don't, what does this taste like? Why are you laughing? Just, just you're like looking at your face. I'm so confused. Yeah, you you look genuinely confused. You almost look terrified. <laughs> okay, first of all, it doesn't taste like a Coke because it's a, it's from the Coca Cola company, and it's supposed to say cola and orange soft drink, right? But it doesn't necessarily taste like orange either. But I do get a little bit of citrus. I will say that. I don't know if it's orange though. Well, I mean, I don't think they would, they're just trying to trick you. Like it's a different citrus group. Like it's a Clementine. <laughs> that is the furthest citrus I thought you would have said. What an interesting one to choose. All right. Let's get this episode started. <laughs> what are we talking about today? Today's an exciting episode. Yes. Yes. I think I, they all are. They all are. I think this one actually is a little bit more, I mean, it, it's become more, so we're going to be talking about an issue today. We're going to be talking about Andrew and how hard he works and how it's an issue for me. I'm kidding. No, no, we're going to be talking about an issue that um, I guess the future really is going to have to deal with. 
and we're gonna we, we might be a part of that future definitely especially if we you know end up wanting to go out first of all it has to do with space so andrew this is definitely your your field right i don't really have to deal with this necessarily except i do kind of i kind of want to deal with it so i'm, I'm really stretching it out here but what we're going to be talking about today is the problem garbage. that we have with garbage yes pollution <laughs> that is our issue now pollution you know there's a lot of different pollutions that we talk about and one that we we always talk about is you know air pollution or we talk about uh the pollution in, in our water, in our oceans, or now we're talking about even microplastics, but there's another pollution that is not talked about quite as much because I would say that we don't really contribute to it, but our governments do, or, you know, some companies do as well. And this is space debris, or should we call it space pollution or space junk, right? Space junk is, it's what is commonly referred to as, I believe. Yeah. So that is our topic today. So Mr. Diamond, would you like to introduce us? Because maybe not everybody knows what space junk or space debris is. Would you like to tell us what that is? Yeah. So basically, uh, space debris or space junk, whatever you want to call it, is just debris floating around or flying around the Earth at approximately 17,000 miles per hour. Um, and it's a, a result of continuously putting spacecraft and space vehicles in space. And as we continue to put more space vehicles in space, the why are you laughing? It says space so much. <laughs> <laughs> what, do you, what, what do you want me to say? Okay, no, keep on going, keep on going. As we put more, put more of this in space. Uh, as we put, <laughs> as I, before I was rudely interrupted. I'm sorry. I'm just kidding. Um, as we continue to put more vehicles into low Earth, low Earth and uh, geosynchronous orbit or earth mm -hmm. earth orbit doesn't matter i'm even uh sending pl uh, vehicles outside of you know orbit into the solar system we introduce space debris and that's a result of you know just things as like uh bolts for instance if you have blast bolts and blast bolts are bolts that explode to let like fairings or secondary or payloads let go and so you're you're allowed to shed a lot of the weight but what happens is when that bolt explodes, you know, that bolt breaks into multiple pieces. And as a result, it's floating around space and then goes into an orbit. Because once it's up there, it takes some time to get back down, right? Right, and, right. And it's not only just bolts that's orbiting the space. It's things like spaceships, um, just paint, right? And paint can chip off of well, what I imagine you heard spaceships and you think of like potato chips. From yes, space. why not? Why not? There's space <laughs> ice cream, right? Astronaut ice cream. So why not spaceships? But yeah, sorry. I keep on. I'm so sorry. I don't know it's why. Okay. I've been thinking like this lately. I I've been having like dad jokes on my mind like 24 seven. But please proceed, Andrew. Before I really, you know. No, 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 you're fine. It's good. It's good. So yeah, even things as small as uh, like paint chips, and we're talking like centimeters, right? And in uh, centimeters, large items or debris, whatever you want to call it, FOD, can strike a spacecraft or a space vehicle and cause damage to the hole or whatever the vehicle in some way. And mm -hmm. so it's an issue. And there's more than 500,000 small or large items uh, orbiting space. Mm -hmm. Do you disagree with that number? It looks like you did. Oh, no. I mean, okay. I mean, I have different numbers here, but I have them chunked out actually into oh, okay. sizes. Yeah. So the yeah, way that, so yeah. Is that, is that what you're going to get at? No, no, no. It's actually good if you want to drop those numbers and how they're classified. 
Yeah. So that that's actually a really good point to bring up classification. So the way that it's classified right now, and I'm, I'm pulling these from different sources, but the way that I saw it most commonly classified is things less than one centimeter. So I'm, I'm pretty sure that has to do with the paint chips as well. Or yeah. You said FOD, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then things that are between one and 10 centimeters, which is a pretty big margin if you're considering less than one centimeter and then suddenly from one to 10 centimeters. Um, but that is the next range that they go with. And then afterwards, they proceed on to 10 centimeters and, and larger. And so 128 million small pieces and a small would be less than a centimeter. Yeah, it's, it's, wow. it's, it's crazy. But I mean, consider all the things that we've done in, in, in LEO or low, low Earth orbit. It, it might make sense, right? And then they say 900,000 pieces that are ranging between one and 10 centimeters. And then, then 34,000 pieces larger than 10 centimeters. This is coming from Wikipedia though, okay? So I consider Wikipedia to be quite actually resourceful and, and pretty qualified as a place to look for resources. But if you guys disagree with these numbers, I pulled them from Wikipedia. And so you guys can, you know, I guess, I don't know, talk trash with me because I use Wikipedia, but it has been a godsend in college. Um, I agree. So yeah. Some good info out there. Oh yeah. And then like these small pieces consist of, as like Andrew was saying, paint flex, um, also solid rocket exhaust particles, or yeah. it could even be, um, what is it? Antifreeze that is it, is it antifreeze? Uh, but, but different aspects that go into a spacecraft or a space vehicle that allow it to function and, and these small little things that come out of them as well. So as Andrew was saying, the blast bolts as well, right? Um, when you're, you know, doing the different stages of a rocket or different stages of a space vehicle, you get those blast bolts and that, you know, that sprays out a bunch of these small pieces, which end up just staying in orbit. And um, I think something that we need to address, I don't know if you would agree with me on this, Andrew, but we should probably address the issue, like how orbit works and why this is an issue, right? Would you agree? Yeah. yeah, we could do that. Yeah. So we've taken this class called orbital mechanics, but we are by no means experts in orbital mechanics or orbits. But the way that the, the reason why the moon stays in, in, in the sky is due to the ability for it to orbit around the earth. And it stays there and it doesn't, I don't, from my understanding, it doesn't draw close to Earth by uh, a significant amount. I think my understanding is it actually gets further away from Earth. I might be wrong on that. But the same thing happens with these small little pieces. They don't just fall to the Earth. They actually, well, they, okay, actually that, that might be wrong. They That's do not, fall. Yeah. They do fall to the Earth, but they always miss Earth by a certain amount. And that's what we call elliptical orbits. And a so, lot of these go through that, right? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what an orbit is. Yeah, so we're always falling, but we always miss the Earth, uh, or not us, but these pieces, and that's why they always continue to stay in this uh, elliptical sort of pattern, and they stay up there for, like, you could have things in, in orbit for decades to centuries. Yeah. And the only way that you can get them down is they, as they sl slowly, slowly lose uh, speed, they lose energy and then they gradually fall into earth's atmosphere and then they burn up. Yeah. So, um, right. Atmospheric drag, even though, you know, there's not really much of an atmosphere in space, there is a little bit of obviously. And, and when you're dealing with speeds, because drag is pro proportional to velocity squared, when you're dealing with speeds <laughs> as high as you are, 
Why are you laughing? That's, this is true. <laughs> no, no, it's true. It's true. It's just like, wow, you're going so technical. Uh, well, I'm sorry. I apologize. Drag is, you know, as you increase in speed, drag increases as well. And because of that, you're going so fast. Drag, you know, even atmospheric drag in space is something that has to be considered. As you know, probably the mm -hmm. ISS does have to do regenerative, regenerative, regenerative burns. Yes. I, every two or three months, depending on how active they are, I believe. Um, mm -hmm. And be, one of the reasons is because orbital debris. And so we'll kind of get into that a little bit too. But just to put this in perspective, I read an article that said um, a paint chip going at, you know, 17,000 miles an hour. So orbital velocity mm -hmm. uh, striking something has the same force as I think it was like a Toyota Tacoma's weight or something Jeez. like that. So that's pretty heavy. Yeah. And, it, so, and it's on a smaller surface area, right? Right. So acts a harder punch. Yeah. Dresses P.O. Ray. <laughs> <laughs> My goodness. Andrew's on a different level today. He's, he's thinking like an engineer. And here I am thinking like uh, not an engineer, I guess. <laughs> but, you know, you, had, you brought up something really interesting that basically changed the way space debris and space junk was looked at because something happened when, Recent, I guess relatively recently, within 20 years ago, right? Yeah, yeah. And basically what – you could explain it better, but it, the reason why it was so significant is because it changed the probability of getting struck by a piece of space debris quite a bit. Mm -hmm. So why don't you go ahead and talk about that? Yeah, so – I guess, I guess this, I would consider this quite unfortunate. However, th this event happened in 2007 and this was something done by the Chinese military. Um, and it was, it was supposed to be a sort of test. And the Chinese military was trying to test an anti-satellite system. And they thought it would be a really good idea to blow up one of their old satellites. And this satellite was called the Feng Yun-1C. I hope I'm saying that correctly. And it was a weather satellite. And they, I guess, blew it up in January 11th of 2007. And this ended up creating more than 3,000 fragments uh, like, uh, that are now orbiting the Earth. And within two years of this happening, this event happening, the fragments have now basically surrounded the Earth and have created a cloud of debris that surrounds and encircles the entire earth. And this was within two years, right? And so this was pretty bad. It says that, like, according to the research that we've done, it contributes more than 20% of, to, to a certain extent of the space debris. I, I, wouldn't, I don't remember and recall under what, uh, under what category it was. I would assume it has to be under those that are larger than 10 centimeters. But imagine contributing in one event, contributing 20% um, to that category, right? So, I mean, that's pretty bad. It's pretty darn bad. And at the time, this basically caused a lot of issues and it drove up the likelihood that, I guess, issues may happen um, in orbit or while getting into orbit, right? Right, Andrew? Yeah, yeah. If you think about it, if you contributing 20% of, you said 20%, right? Yes. 20% of the space debris in one event 
um, your pro the probability of getting hit also increases quite a bit. Not exactly by twenty percent, but it increases by quite a lot. Right. Um, I would go out on a limb, probably five to ten percent, on in some cases, depending right. on the vehicle and you know your orbit pattern and stuff like that. A lot of technical stuff involved, but that's that's pretty crazy to think about. Yeah, yeah, and I I I entirely agree with you. And and five to ten percent doesn't really seem like a big deal, but imagine you're driving your car and someone tells you, "Hey, we just added this new update to your car." Hey, for some, I don't know, maybe we're talking about in the future when you can do those updates. And they're like, yeah, you're like, it's a bug and we're trying to fix it as soon as possible. But the likelihood of your car bugging out and getting in a car crash is now five to 10% higher. And when you think about it like that, that's pretty bad. And would you, just, would you still drive the car? Right. I, 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 I would question it. And especially when it comes to space, we're not talking, and, and I understand cars right now, at least everybody seems to have to operate it. So it's always going to consider a person's life. But it's the same thing with space vehicles at times too. When you're considering space vehicles, there are people's lives at hands, like lives at risk, not at hands, lives at risk at times. And on top of that, it could also be other, um, you know, space systems that are going on that could also be quite costly as well. Uh, of course, I consider a, a human life way more important than, you know, a satellite, but it's either going to cost a lot of money or it's going to cost human lives. And this is something that we have to consider when we're talking about space debris. And, and this one singular event in 2007 with the Feng Yun caused, you know, it to get a lot more dangerous to go up in space. And I want to get into space one day, right? And so this is definitely a really big problem. And the world decided, we, the U.S. as well, right, decided that we want to change things up and we want to figure out a way to fix this, right? Yeah, yeah. To also put this in context, um, you on average day probably do, I don't know, 15 to 20 things that depend on a bunch of different satellites. You're using Wi-Fi, checking mm. the weather, mm -hmm. getting GPS, all kinds of things. And, you know, as the space debris problem increases, some of these, you know, things that we're used to using every single day can be jeopardized in some cases. Right, right. You guys are listening to this podcast based off Wi-Fi, right? Or, or if it's not Wi-Fi, it's, you know, LTE or... Whatever, whatever way you're able to get this signal to you is based off of satellites that are up there in orbit. Yeah. So imagine a, imagine a, a TikTokless world. Imagine, <laughs> imagine a world without Wi-Fi and, and, and YouTube. Right? Imagine, imagine being in this global pandemic that we're currently in or, and, and not having the luxury of you know, a smartphone. Imagine if we had to go through this 30 years ago. Yeah, I don't know if I'd be able to even go to my local ice cream shop without my phone and GPS, man. <laughs> okay, maybe that's that's a little exaggerative, but yes, we're very dependent on things that are in orbit. Yeah. So, and also Johnny brings up a good point. He specifically said that you know the U.S. and NASA realize this as a problem, and uh, the reason for that is because NASA is a U.S.-based company that is currently the largest stakeholder in NASA. And, you know, they've invested more into like, for instance, the space shuttle was primarily funded, or I'm sorry, International Space Station, even though it's an international project that was, you know, covered by many different countries and many countries use it. It was primarily funded by the America over 50 billion, I think was spent by America. And so primarily, if you think about it, uh, in terms of space, uh, NASA has a lot of stake in space. So they have to, you know, right. work on these issues. Right. 
And the reason for that too is because back in the 60s and 70s, there was a, a NASA engineer, his name was Kessler. And Kessler basically came up with this uh, theorem that said, okay, hey, we're, putting, we're constantly putting stuff into space. And there's at one point, we're going to get to a, 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 like a domino effect, a point of no return. So you're going to get what's going to happen is the spacecraft is going to basically crash into another spacecraft. And because of that, a bunch of debris is going to be formed. And that debris is going to continue with the chain reaction, and it's going to continue to collide with other spacecraft. Mm -hmm. And so basically what will happen is we'll shut ourselves in from space in essence. So we will never be able to reach space because we'll, we will have shut ourselves out. Right. Some scientists and engineers agree with this, but also some people don't. And the reason for that is because basically they say, hey, you know, at some point everything has to come back down. It may be years and years until that happens, but what we put up has to come down, the, mm -hmm. like the old saying goes, right? Right. But because of this, NASA took the space debris and, and space junk a little bit more seriously, and they started putting standards in place. And so now they have a NASA standards. It's called NASA Orbital Debris Standards or something like that. Hmm. And basically, it regulates what you can put into space and um, has a whole lot of, and, and, and this practice has also had a, a lot of influence in systems engineering and mm -hmm. you know systems. Right, right. And the reason for that is because uh, now in, in systems engineering, one of the big things you have to consider is life, life cycle and disposal. Right. And that's not only for spacecraft, but also for aircraft because, you know, at some point you need to, you know, get rid of these things, whether, whether it be space, air, even cars, right? Mm-hmm. And cars are a little bit, I guess, um, more mellow, I guess you could say, because you could drive a car for quite a long time, but you can't necessarily, you know, operate a spacecraft or an air vehicle for sometimes, although there are some of those like anomalies, right? Like the B-52. Yes. Will that one. thing ever retire? Who knows? <laughs> it remains to be, that thing just got approved for service until 2050, I think. I think it's going to, I think it's going to retire before, like after we die at this point. <laughs> Who's going to retire first, us or the B-52? Oh, I'm pretty sure we're going to retire first, the way that it's been designed. Yeah, and, and but that's like, you know, one of those anomalies, right? Mm -hmm. That was like a, a vehicle that was so over-engineered that it's like insane. And also, like, that's a whole nother episode. I brought it up to you before, <laughs> but it's crazy to think how you could over-engineer something like that. Yeah, I agree. It's pretty rewarding too, right? In a sense, yeah. it's crazy because it, it didn't. You, I, I mean, I know we're getting a little bit off topic here, but I, I believe you said you were the one that told me that the B fifty two is a generational. Three generations have flown the B fifty two. There are people out there that are like that, where their grandpa, right? Their grandpa flew the B fifty two, and then their father flew the B fifty two, and then now they are the pilot for the B fifty two. Right. So it's gone through three generations. That's how old that plane is. It like blows my mind. And it, if it, if my numbers are correct, which I think they are, if it got approved for service for 2050, it will have gone through at least another one, maybe not, maybe two. Yeah. About it. Yeah. That is true. But that will be a topic for another episode. So yeah. be on the lookout for that. <laughs> yeah. I got excited thinking about it. But, anyways. <laughs> So basically what the NASA standards um, has created is it's, it's, it's a, 
you have to come up with a disposal method for your vehicle. Mm-hmm. And so they, you have to have one of three, uh, a direct entry disposal. So basically it means right after the mission takes place, uh, you could, you know, use thrusters of some sort to come back into earth and burn up on, on reentry. Um, and I, th- I thought it was really interesting reading into these things is that you have to quantify everything. And one of the measures they do is that you have to quantify what the chances are of somebody being struck and being killed by debris on, upon reentry. Mm-hmm. So it has to be a one in 1,000 chance. And, you know, it's pretty crazy. That's not – I thought – I would think it had to be much lower. <laughs> I- what do you mean by lower? Like a, a lesser chance or like a one yeah, in 300? Yeah. Okay. I was about to say, I was like, one in 1,000 is in my book. That is not, I don't consider that a good number. How many people are in the United States? 350 million approximately. So that means that, oh, I'm going to butcher this, but at least at least one person will be hit with debris. What? <laughs> it's, it's much higher, but I'm, yeah, I'm saying. Yeah. But that's crazy to think that. So every time a vehicle comes back into earth and to re-entry basically and, and is supposed to burn up and mm-hmm. be decommissioned somebody will get hit by debris i think the number is three hundred fifty thousand people <laughs> yeah it is <laughs> okay I, I should not be laughing at that but it just blows my mind that that is an acceptable number um but i i, I okay i may be getting ahead of you andrew here but i'm pretty sure they deorbit that's the appropriate word right when they're when they're thrusting against orbit, when they deorbit and they're slowing down so that they could actually hit Earth, they're doing it in places that are remote or over the Earth, right? Or, oh, of over the Earth, over over oceans. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. you know, and but but I'm sure that the number is much lower. But they're saying what the standard says it has to be a minimum of one in one thousand. So standards yes. are always you know, right. that's the minimum that mm-hmm. has to be met. So the number must my uh, number is likely much lower and you right. probably don't have to worry about space debris coming down and hitting you, but it's just food for thought mm-hmm. if you're designing a space vehicle. Okay. Uh, another method is, you know, the atmospheric drag disposal. Like we were saying, nothing can stay in space forever, basically. And so after the mission is done, as long as it's in a safe orbit location, um, it could stay there until uh, it naturally generates enough atmospheric drag that it, deorbits and comes back into mm-hmm. earth and the same thing happens it burns up upon re-entry mm-hmm. there is a maximum time though i believe it was that it it cannot be lo- no longer than 25 years after the mission ends so they don't they don't want your you know satellite orbiting for 50 years until it finally comes down there is a long-term method which i'll discuss next but the uh, at- natural atmospheric drag disposal has to ha- has a cap of 25 years and then you could float gently down into the atmosphere and burn up. Right. And I, I want to add on to this because Andrew said atmospheric, atmospheric drag a couple times. But my assumption of what atmosphere drag, and you can correct me on this if I'm wrong, Andrew, I believe it's – so first of all, drag is friction, right? It's friction caused by air is what we'll yep. say. Yeah. So high up in, in space in orbit, there's not that much air. There is some air probably, right? And that's what causes the slowdown. And as the air is hitting against these objects, that's what causes the slowdown, lowers the velocity, which ends up causing it to eventually hit Earth, right? That's what atmospheric drag is, the idea behind it. Yes. Okay, I just wanted to get that cleared up. 
I wasn't entirely sure of it. And I'm pretty sure maybe some people listening, I don't know, maybe you guys are like, John is so dumb. I already knew that. But for me, I just want to make sure because I don't know. I, I don't know where the atmosphere ends. Actually, I don't think there's any defined actual definition of where the atmosphere ends. But I just wanted to make things clear for myself and then for maybe some other people out there that think just like me. Hey, man, there's no such thing as a dumb question. I think there is. <laughs> yeah. But proceed. Yes. <laughs> so, and then the third and final uh, decommission, or deorbit method is you can have a storage orbit, which I thought was pretty interesting. Um, but I think it's also a bit troubling in some ways. So basically it's broken into zones where you could store your satellite in these like quote unquote dead zones, I'll call mm -hmm. them. And they could be uh, low earth or geosynchronous or above geosynchronous orbit is how they mm -hmm. categorize them. And basically what you do is you park your satellite in that, in that parking orbit and you just leave it for there. And it could be for a hundred to 200 years. Mm -hmm. But the reason I think it's a bit troubling is because, you know, the, <laughs> It's like a short-term solution to right. a long-term problem. Right, right. Like, it's like, hey, let's just leave this here for now. You know, they'll figure it out in 200 years. It's like duct years. tape, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which is actually one of the ISS's preferred method of fixing some things. Yes. I, I was told that by I NASA engineer. That. Yeah. But that's crazy to think that, you know, in 150, 200 years, you know, the, the future engineers and at – and it's, it's really troubling because as space flight continues to grow and expand, especially if we have these private companies and private sectors blowing up and emerging, mm -hmm. we're going to have more and more of these satellites potentially being stored in these dead zones. And, and you know, at what point do we, does, is, what straw breaks the camel's back and where do we go from here, right? Right, right. I'm, I'm imagining the worst case scenario. And my understanding of this isn't entirely crystal clear either. But we could end up creating a wall around the entire Earth, right? Yeah. Well, um, yeah, I mean, the Earth is three-dimensional, but the worst-case scenario is we could end up creating, like, an extra, you know, I don't know, covering around the Earth. Of course, it probably would never get to that extent. I don't know if we have the capability to do that, but we could definitely make it a little harder on ourselves if we're parking everything in a certain orbit. Yeah, and, you know, they do take, like, uh, precautions to make sure we're not blocking ourselves in mm -hmm. and you know even though space it there is an issue with space debris it's not like insane like it's not you remember in star wars when they're you know flying through space and they're dodging asteroids yes it's not like that right like that's not how space is there's plenty of space out there no pun intended yeah yeah and and so in fact i was told and i don't know how accurate this is so don't quote me but when i was at nasa marshall or when i was at marshall nasa <laughs> when i was at marshall Sp space flight center yeah basically what they told them told me is that the likelihood of them striking a natural comet or asteroid is so low that it's not in the flight plan they don't do any calculations based on that however they are starting to incorporate um space debris or space junk into the equation because that's becoming more of an issue right right and I also want to bring up one more thing is these parking orbits are, are, you know, a whole satellite. So it's pretty easy to be detected. So these bigger asteroids are, or I'm sorry, bigger space debris, satellites, stuff like that stuff that's bigger than 10 centimeters. Um, so about the size of a baseball, I guess, if you will, mm -hmm. or bigger, they're easily detectable 
using, you know, radar that's on ground um, and they could, you know, track the orbit of them and, and they're able to do things like tell the ISS to move if it's necessary. Mm-hmm. However, the issue is when they're in that zone that's too small to detect that. So th- there's like a Goldilocks zone. Right. If, you're, if your debris is smaller than one centimeter, uh, it'll likely strike your, your like strike the vehicle, but it's des- the vehicle's designed in such a way that it probably won't destroy or be catastrophic. If it's larger than 10 centimeters, it will strike your vehicle and be catastrophic, but it's so big that it could be de- it's detectable and you could get out of the way likely. Mm-hmm. But in between one and 10 centimeters, it's not able to be detected. And if it hits your vehicle, there's a good chance that'll cause damage that's catastrophic. Mm-hmm. And so you have to plan for that. But how do you avoid something you can't see? That's a question you, you know, you can't really answer. Right, right. Yeah, so like this is an issue that we're kind of coming into now. And I don't know, maybe in the future, you, Andrew, will, you know, being the space guy that you are, you know, <laughs> maybe this is uh, something that you might end up working on or to friends around us which is, it blows my mind, but this is definitely something that is coming into the forefront. And is that all you have to say? Cause I wanted to add in a different nation that is actually working on this as well. Yeah, go for it. Yeah. So Britain is actually working on this as well. So not Britain, sorry, sorry. UK, United Kingdom, right? How dare you? How dare I? How dare I? Um, but the, the UK is working on this and they actually called theirs, you know, I, I, you know, it's not, it's not the greatest name in my opinion. It's called Remove Debris. That's their program name. I don't know. Hey Short and to the point. Yeah, I guess, I guess that, you know, that is the engineering way. Simplest is best. Um, but they have two different methods that they actually wanted to try. And so what they thought was they would put up a satellite out there and they would throw out a net. It sounds weird, but, you know, nets catch things in the water and they can also catch things in space, guys. So <laughs> they threw a net out there and they were hoping, I, I, I don't know if they've implemented this yet, but this is something that they're trying to do. And they're also trying to do a harpoon method as well, where I'm pretty sure they just shoot out like some, I don't know, a harpoon and they try to pick up the bigger pieces of debris. Obviously you're not going to hit anything with, a, you know, a one centimeter wide object. You're not going to get with a harpoon, right? It would obviously be bigger objects, but these are the two methods that they're trying to implement with a satellite. So maybe they're in the future, it'll be satellites that are like, you know, cleaning up our uh, atmosphere, the higher end, uh, higher ends of our atmosphere. But that is something that the UK is working on and something else that they wanted to do actually to try to deorbit. And I believe this was the satellite that they were trying to do the net and the harpoon with actually, now that I remember correctly, they're trying to use something called the drag sail. Um, actually, I want to see what it, what it looks like, but they try to deploy a drag sail. And what this does is it increases the surface area of the satellite, which would probably introduce in more atmospheric track, introduces in more friction, which means you slow down yourself a lot more quickly. It works like a parachute, except it works to deorbit instead of stopping something from hitting the ground harder. So that was something that they tried doing, but it failed to deploy. So that's something that they didn't end up doing. But I think that's a really cool idea to have something called the drag sail. And it's, it's a lot more of a passive way to try to deorbit something and you're also doing it's it's not necessarily the fastest way to do it i would assume but it's definitely a catalyst over uh, just the satellite itself right so 
Yeah, I like it because when when you said um, the harpoon or the the net, the first thing I think of is like, okay, how is this net or harpoon not introducing more debris into the environment, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, I know you don't want it to, and I'm sure it's engineered to not do this, but if you shoot a harpoon at something and it chips something off, like a piece of paint, mm-hmm. that's going to go out into the environment. You know, you're causing an issue there. Or if the harpoon itself, you know, chips off, right, or it breaks, mm-hmm. that's an issue. You're introducing more debris. So these solutions that have, um, like, no additional waste incurred, I guess, is is the solutions that I really like to look at because right, I think right. they're really cool. So I guess this is like our our challenge to everybody to start thinking about ways that you could. Yeah. It's crazy. You know, it's crazy to think, but like you could literally be you know, working on this in the future. And that could, that's, that's like a whole new endeavor to tackle, so to speak. Right. Right. It's a, you know, we're, we're always trying to, I mean, that's kind of the engineering way, right? There's a problem. Let's try to fix it. Um, I don't know if we, we necessarily try to predict problems in the future or really far out into the future, but we know that there are going to be problems or there are problems that are, that we're dealing with and we're engineering ways to try to, either mitigate it or try to fix it. So it's definitely something, and that's actually really is a good point. Like, what are we going to do? Andrew's really thinking in the system's mind right now. Yeah. He's, on, he's like, on, you're, you're on a roll, man. Thinking in the, you know, engineer mind. Dude, I had a good week. I don't know, yeah. man. Yeah. But that, that is what the UK is doing. I think I also heard of another nation trying to use a laser to try to burn up and make smaller pieces that would be a lot easier to deorbit, um, but I don't. I was trying to research it because I've I've done research on space debris before, um, but I couldn't find that recently. So, um, yeah. But I think I, I did be- hear that as well. I believe the European Space Agency is oh, okay. highly involved in um, that laser system that you were talking about. So, if you want to do some more research on it, you could probably um, look up like ESA space debris and and uh you'd probably find out some good information if you're interested it is a really interesting topic something to think about definitely food for thought especially as you know the space age is evolving rapidly Mm -hmm. and it's one of those things that like we have to also think about how this is going to affect the future of space and we have to also rapidly expand on developing these new technologies that can support a rapidly evolving space age, so to speak. Right. Right. And like, I think Andrew, you were saying earlier and you brought up a really good point. I'm pretty sure there's going to be some people out there that say like space is never going to be associated with me, but space has already been associated with us and it will be associated with us probably for the rest of our lives. And yeah, you may not be going to space. You, you know, maybe the closest you'll ever get is being on an airplane. Right. But when you use your phone, when you use devices around you, um, or even just the world around you functions off of things that are in space. And so you can't help but continue to be dependent on the things that are out there. And so it, it's a really important a, important issue that we need to really tackle. And yeah, uh, yeah. so I agree I mean, that, that, with that. Yeah, go on. As infrastructure increases and, and like evolves, um, I guess the best way I could explain is I live in a a city that is a pretty small city, like a pretty small suburbs, I guess. Mm -hmm. And the population has like exploded. And so just like the, the roads around here cannot support the amount of people that are here. Um, 
and I know it's like, it's a stretch. You're saying how you're comparing, I'm comparing like residential roads to space, but if it's the space cannot support the amount of waste and space debris that we're, you know, putting into it, then what will be done? So right. we have to think about, you know, having essentially improving on both and taking these technology both to the next level. Right. Yeah. I agree entirely. And it, it, it's definitely going to affect me because I want to go to space one day. And if, you know, if that's something that can happen, right. I want to make sure that I'm not going into, you know, a suicide mission by any means. And yeah. I'm pretty sure how, Andrew, you want to go too, right? How's that space elevator going to work if you're getting hit by debris? <laughs> exactly. I was thinking a space elevator, but <laughs> no, I know that's an idea out there, but you know, something along the lines of like that, right. If you're going out to space, you don't want to be hitting a wall of metal. Or yeah, you don't want to get sense. sand. You don't want to get sandblasted. Like you know, oh, they look so nice out there, but all you just see is a sandblasted window. You're like I can't really see space, so I, I would hate for that to be the case. And so, yeah, let's uh, let's clean up space as much as we're cleaning up or trying our best, I believe, to clean up our oceans and our and our air as well. I'd hope so. At least that's yeah. the idea. Yeah, but that 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 about it, you know, is for me. That's all I have to say. What about you, man? That's it. I, that's all I got. I think it's really cool to think about food for thought. Definitely. I think that's a great senior project. If, if I didn't have senior project done and I had the time to do it next year, uh-huh. I think that's something I would propose to a professor like, Hey, space debris is an issue. Let's do it. Like, let's come up with, you know, try to develop a system. Let's do it, like a research study. <laughs> no kidding. No, I agree <laughs> with you entirely. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily my interest, but I definitely, if someone is out there and they're like, I want to do it, I'm like, I'll be like, yo, do it. Do it. Yeah. Man. Yeah. I, I would, I would be excited for them. So if you're, you know, in need of a senior project, go ahead, try it. Propose yeah, it to your professor. Like yeah, there you go. But that wraps up our episode, but we're not done quite yet. I do have a question for you, Johnny, as always. Yes. I think this is a good one. I hope you agree. Let me hear first. <laughs> What is the biggest surprise or shock that you've had since you joined the aero department at CPP? And what I mean by that is like, maybe you weren't expecting something and, you know, it came to as a shock to you that that's the way certain things are done, or maybe you expected the the program to be, you know, uh, maybe a little bit easier, a little bit harder. Maybe you thought aerospace engineering was a little bit, you know, different. What, what, what's your biggest, like, wow, I wasn't, what is this? Yeah. Huh. That's a really good question. Biggest shock. And, and, and I think my answer, I already have one. Shockingly, no pun intended. Um, I already have one. And I think this is something that I've, I even, I just met up with a friend recently too. And, I, and she and I kind of went through the same journey of going from a, a, a JC, right? Junior college, or you can call it community college, right? NC university. And maybe this is more specific towards Cal Poly Pomona. I'm not sure. Um, but my time at community college was, I, don't, I can't really put a number to it, but I can't say it was harder than my time right now at Cal Poly Pomona. And it, it, can, it can be argued that right now might be a little bit harder, but that, that's primarily due to the pandemic, I think. But when I was... When I transferred in, I was expecting my, my life to entirely just be studying, but no, it, it, it's not entirely just studying. It's, you know, I get to have a little bit of fun here and there and, you know, um, 
have a life. Professors hear that. (laughs) Like, oh no, our goal is to make sure that Johnny and fellow students in the Arrow program are supposed to have no life. Johnny's Uh, about to walk into 13 extra assignments tomorrow. (laughs) And two more projects. I mean, our, our, our professors mentioned projects like the week before spring break, you know, it's great, but you know, I don't know. I will say that there are multiple variables that can go into this. My, my junior college time, I was learning to be a student and I still am learning to be a student, but the learning curve was a lot steeper initially in, in community college than it is now. And so I think for me, my biggest shock was realizing that I was riding, I guess the, the wave of, I guess the fruits that I've, I guess, I don't know what, what, what's the saying here. I, like, I sowed a lot of seeds. Yes, yeah. I, I, I sowed a lot of seeds back then and I'm reaping the benefits of, I guess, my discipline that I developed in community college. And so going, to, going into university at Cal Poly Pomona, um, the, the courses, of course, were still difficult, but I, my expectation of the difficulty was a lot less than what, I, you know, what actually was in front of me. And um, it was quite a pleasant surprise. So it was, a good, it was a good kind. It was a good shock, I guess. But that would be my personal shock that I kind of went into, into um, going into, I, I guess, Cal Poly Pomona. Yeah. That's true. That's a good one. I think I tend to agree. Um, I actually talked to my old physics professor in his class two mm-hmm. weeks ago, I think. And that was one of the things I said is basically doc, uh, my professor, Dr. B, basically like grew me into the student that I, I was almost – bulletproof in some aspects at first but that quickly wore off in some regards as well because i <laughs> you know went through a different couple of different things but i think actually the biggest shock for me was um learning or realizing that you know aerospace isn't necessarily as um it's very niche and the way why i say that is because like we don't take classes, or at least at Cal Poly Pomona, we don't take classes like mechanical design or, you know, um, I guess even like we don't take a CAD class, right? We don't take, um, right, right. We don't, we don't take uh, G- GD&T, mechanical measurements, stuff like that. And I was expecting a little bit more of that engineering vibe, I guess. Mm-hmm. And what I've realized in my experience at CPP specifically, of course, is that we are basically just going into these classes and, you know, learning quite literally learning by doing, but also just we're, we're doing a lot of calculation and not like meaningless calculation, like derivation or stuff like that. And no offense, if that's your thing, there's a place for that, but Mm -hmm. we're doing like, you know, we, we learn to master Excel, right. MATLAB, stuff like that, where it's like, we're not expected. We're it's weird too, because we're expected to be, good at CAD and programming and stuff like that, but we're not taking those classes, right? (laughs) And even if we are, those classes don't, I don't think they do. And I I don't want to, you know, talk smack on our class, but I don't think they give the most practical view on how we actually use the program. Cause the way that I'm using MATLAB now is very different from the way that I used it in that class. So, Oh yeah, totally different class. It actually, I, I think, and you know, I might get canceled for this. I think that that program needs to be, or that class would need to be reevaluated because we were being like tested on material that really didn't make sense to us. And we we're trying to apply like strictly MATLAB to it. 
but I felt like it made things more confusing because we didn't understand the underlying principles of what was going on necessarily. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I remember we were doing a, a, a problem that, uh, that was a rocket going to space and yeah. its mass was changing as a function of time like it would in the real world. But at the time when I was taking that class, first of all, that concept was kind of weird to me. And I didn't under, like, we're not taking rocket propulsion until next year. So that, that question really doesn't make sense to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, we can go into that, you know, <laughs> on our own personal time, but yes, go on, please. But no, I definitely do think that, uh, like you said, some of the classes and, you know, there's only so much time in a class and, and you could only learn so much, I guess, but, um, you're, it's a lot different than what I expected. And I really love it. Like, it's really cool. That's really awesome. But I also thought that, um, it would be a little bit different. You know, I think that everybody has the expectation of going into a a really cool program that you'll become a master at all these things Mm -hmm. in the classroom. And I don't think that's definitely not true. Like you definitely have to, you know, do, do your own thing and grind on it and, um, work on things on your own and, 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 you know, that knowledge will come eventually, I guess. Mm -hmm. So are you saying that your shock is that aerospace is not as niche as you thought, or is it that it was, it's, it's a lot more niche than you thought? I think that, I don't know if that's what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is I expected to become an amazing engineering or an engineer Uh in the class and I don't think that's necessarily true. Um, you know, that okay. takes time and, you know. Right. Okay. Yeah. And you got to develop that outside of the class a lot. Oh, yeah. Okay. No, I, I entirely agree with you on that. Okay. For sure. Yeah. yeah that makes sense. I agree as well. I, I am there with you. I don't think I'm by any means the greatest engineer, but um, I'm definitely trying to, you know. Yeah. I don't need to just for the record, but yeah. we're working towards it and that's all that matters. I think you're a great engineer, Andrew. Thanks, man. I think you're a great engineer as well. Well, Thanks. engineering students, I guess we should say. Yeah, we're so cute. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we end the episode, tell me how your drink was. I drank it all. I will say that. I'm still confused <laughs> with the flavor. <laughs> and oftentimes, drinks do not perplex me like that, or flavors do not. I don't think this is an orange cola. Um, I don't get much cola or m- much orange by any means. Maybe I might need to do an orange Fanta with Coke mix and maybe then I'll figure out what that means. But um, it was, it was, it's a sweet drink that's carbonated. And I will tell you this, I'm, I am one that really likes carbonated drinks, regardless of whether it has flavor or not. You know, I like sparkling water. I like, I like Coke. I like, I like all things that are carbonated. And so, um, yeah, I will give it, if I were to give it a, a score, right? I was going to say, maybe we should start doing scores. Yeah, if I were to give like it a you score. Could do, you could do like, I don't know, are you going to do five or 10? I would do it out of 10. All right, do like 10 B-52s out of 10 B-52s <laughs> or whatever. And I'll do out of Saturn fives or something. <laughs> out of Saturn fives? Why not the SLS, man? <laughs> hey, man, got to pay respect to the OG. OG, yeah, biggest rocket ever. Um, so if I were to give it out of 10 B-52s, I would give this a seven, seven B-52s out of 10 B-52s. That's respectable. It's a respectable drink. 
Would I go for it again in the near future? Maybe. I don't think it's something I'd crave. I'll say that. So what is, I mean, I know we're getting off topic here, but what is your like, oh, I need that again. Is that a nine or is that an eight? Um, Need it again would be a 10. Want it again would probably be an eight or nine. I hope that's being technical enough. So if I were to give you an example, I really like Coca-Cola. Doesn't mean I drink it all the time. I actually prefer Pepsi though. Oh my goodness. Don't talk. Andrew, you and I are no longer friends. <laughs> I hate it when I, when I go to a restaurant and they're like, oh, I'm like, can I please have Coke? And they're like, yeah, is Pepsi okay for you? I'm like, no. <laughs> I'm kidding. I, I don't say that. I say, yeah, that's fine. I'm not that much of a you know, purist for Coca-Cola. But yeah, um, yeah, I would put a Coke at, I don't, I don't need Coke. So I'd probably put it at eight or nine. But water would be 10, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> This is a really horrible skill. 10 B-52s out of 10 B-52s for water. But yeah, I mean, Coca-Cola would probably be a nine for me. So, you know, a seven is not that bad, right? It's not bad. I'd, I'd probably give mine six Saturn fives out of 10 Saturn fives. Your, your beer? Yeah. It was are, you, all right. it was, are you a Pilsner guy? I've, I, you know, before we started this podcast, I had never had one. But the okay. last one I had, I don't remember the name of it. Mm-hmm. I guess I could listen back, but that one was, I think, a little bit better. It was probably okay. like a eight B fifty twos. All right, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. uh, yes, come join the dark side, Andrew. <laughs> all right, guys, that's it for this episode. Yeah. If you have any questions, feel free to comment or email us at airholicsanonymouspodcast at gmail dot com or comment on our Instagram, airholicsanonymouspodcast. Johnny, do you have anything to say before we end the show? I do not. All right, then. On that note. We out. Later, guys.